Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to Not Your Average Joe, the podcast that'll make anyone a little less average. I'm your host, Joe Franco, currently sitting in the depths of London. So if you hear some honks, some horns, some ambulances, it's because this city is vibrant. And so is this podcast episode. Today's guest is really an interesting character, and I really mean character. The guest on today's episode is Dave Raymond, formerly known as the first Philly fanatic. And who's the Philly fanatic, you ask? He's the fluffy green giant mascot or character that represents the Philadelphia Phillies Major League Baseball team. Now, who's the man inside the suit? That's what we're going to find out today. Kill the intro, sis. You know she's not your average show. Not your average show. So your job is to go around to different cities and different teams and help them come up with a mascot. Correct. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Awesome. Uh, I've got a bowl game named after me. The Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl. And I want to have a mascot. You know, I want to, I don't, I don't want to just this to be a one-year thing. I want my mascot to live on mm. as the bowl game itself, even past my death. I want this to be my legacy. Nice. So that's why I'm, I'm looking to you for help. How do you start with a, a situation like this? It really starts with storytelling. You said you want this to live beyond, but I, I have a good question. Why did you want to do this? Mostly um, to bring joy to children and to strike fear into my enemies. Right, okay, good, we can do both. That was Dave on Jimmy Kimmel. This man has really traveled the world and given so many different lectures and speeches about embracing inner fun, embracing your mascot building one. And if you're not from the States, I'm gonna break down what a mascot is. It's the hype man. It's the person brave enough and bold enough to run out into fields of people, hundreds and thousands of people. Whether they're your fans or your arch nemesis, you have to have enough energy inside of you to get stadiums worth of people off of their seats and engaged. And, and I needed to get specifics. Like how do you go from being an average Joe to being an expert and leader in such a specific and random thing which turned out to be not random at all dave raymond you are such a ray of sunshine thank you for being with me today how are you uh, it's my pleasure joe and i you know i'm a fan of your work and i um excited to meet with you i've, I've been following some of your podcasts and listening and the thing i love is is your relaxed energy and um, and I know I said, oh, I was as I was listening to one of your podcasts, I said, this is really going to be great. I can have a lot of fun talking to Joe. So um, looking forward to it. I'm so happy. I know we were talking before this and I'm like, oh, it's so good. I have to hit record. So uh, we should do a little recap. I would love for you to introduce yourself. I've been watching all of the things that are live on YouTube, but I know that your area to shine is in-person events. And after seeing a few seconds of any of your videos, my first question is, how do you get the energy? It's explosive and contagious. So if you could give a little bit of your backstory and, and we'll go down the journey. 
Well, I'll tell you, when I, my whole life was framed uh, by athletics. You know, my dad was a head football coach. He's in the College Football Hall of Fame. He was my hero. And all I wanted to do was go play football for him at the University of Delaware. I wanted to be a coach like him. So my path was completely unexpected. Um, and as I look back, certainly serendipitous, uh, fortunate. Um, but I had a lot of skill sets that were uh, sharpened specifically for the work I was about to do by accident. So um, that's, I think that's a wonderful thing to, to tell people, that, that young people who are being told all the time now, you have to know what you want to do before you get there. And, you know, really what you have to do is, is find out what your passion is. So that's what happened to me, but accidentally. So uh, I'm somewhat, I have a somewhat of a dual personality in my background. Uh, I was the original performer for the Philly Fanatic, who is the, continues to this day, 43 years later, uh, the beloved mascot for the Philadelphia Phillies. And I was with the Phillies from an intern till the development and creation of the Fanatic in 78. I was, I was anointed because I was the only one stupid enough to say yes to this idea, to have a green furry Muppet that was going to be the mascot for the Philadelphia Phillies, uh, who are, you know, have been known to be some tough fans. But I was with them for 16 years uh, performing as the fanatic. And then I went into the business of creating what we call character brands. Most people would just describe them as mascots. So for SEO purposes, we call them mascots. But in my business of character branding, it is a living, breathing brand extension that we create for sports teams, colleges and universities, um, and, and as well as corporations. But something strange happened during the beginning of, of that uh, journey in 94, when I left the Phillies until today, was that I found that a lot of people wanted to know what made mascots special. Why were they so appreciated? Why do we need them? And in trying to answer that question, I started to discover how mascots seamlessly connected on an emotional level to people. Bigger than the sport, bigger than being on the sidelines or in the arena, um, being part of the game day operations is what most people would describe if you said, you know, what does a mascot do? Where do they work? But I found that I was, I was working in places you wouldn't expect a mascot to work, at funerals, uh, weddings, bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, yes, uh, places where no kids were in sight, and successfully so, to the point where people were saying, oh my gosh, you know, you're in hospital rooms uh, where, where families were dealing with um, very difficult uh, things that you couldn't even imagine. And when I would leave those hospital rooms, not knowing what I was doing, I was showing up and they would pat me on the back and said, thank you for a little bit of the medicine my family needed. Um, and I started to figure out, wait, this is happening, something bigger is happening. And then when I got involved from some friends who were building a team building company for the corporate world, um, I got involved with them. I became an owner in this business. It was called the fun department, still operating today. And I was required to go in and tell the employees why leadership was investing in them, taking some time during the workday to be silly. And that's when I developed this the, and, and started to deconstruct why mascots were so important that how did they seamlessly do this? And it's really about powerful fun, which is my whole uh, focus when I'm on, when I'm doing keynotes and virtual live keynotes. It's been my passion now because, you know, when I left the Phillies, the one thing I regretted was my inability to perform anymore. And I realized how important performance was to me, how much I loved it, um, how good I was at this type of nonverbal performance. And when I got on stage and started to speak, I went, oh my gosh, it's the same thing. I'm doing the best of my nonverbal 
and now using verbal to really engage an audience, um, to connect with them, uh, and to deliver some very important messaging that they'd be surprised to hear with my backstory. Oh, I just love these conversations. The podcast has become my favorite thing because I get to meet people like you, Dave, and we get to walk in your personal memory lane. And I think there's so much wisdom from every step that you've told me. And this is just the beginning. This is like the first five minutes. So let's go back to the first thing that you said, how it shouldn't be so stressful to know what you want to do. It seems like in your journey, it's all been a series of happy accidents or, you know, quote unquote coincidences. And you were probably nervous at all of those stages. So how, how did you even get the internship? Like, where did you think you would be probably not running around huge fields in a costume? Like walk us through, you know, if somebody's not sure where they're going to head, what is some wisdom from that stage of your life? Everything that I've done in my life has been a product of enlightened leadership. So I'll start with my father. Uh, he he was my hero. I, I revered him. He was a, a local hero and icon because of how much success he was having uh, in being a, a football coach. He was at the University of Delaware for 50 years. So you talk about grit, Angela Duck, Duckworth's book about grit. My dad had grit down. And this was who I wanted to be. And then when I said I want to be a football coach, being the leader that he was and wanting to see the best out of his players and certainly his children outside of college, he said, you know, listen, I'll help you, but it's gonna be really hard for you to replicate what I've done specifically because you will not be at the same institution for 50 years. It, it can't be done anymore. And he said, I know the owners of the Phillies, maybe, and you have two years to graduate. You know, I was still actively playing football and telling him what I wanna do. He said, well, let's get a summer job with the Phillies. You'll never know who you'll meet or what might happen. And I'm a big fan of Malcolm Gladwell, and I'm telling you, I fit right into the outlier situation because I had access because my dad knew ownership with the Phillies, so it was easy to get his son an internship. Um, and then I went in there and I and I listened to what he said: keep your head down, do whatever they ask you to do, and and you'll prove your value. And for two summers, I did everything they asked me to do, and then the and it was a two-year internship. My third summer, they called me at my fraternity house on the campus of the University of Delaware and said, hey, you want to come back for uh, 1978 for your third year? You can have your same job, but you have to stay for all the games. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that was a perk. I, I'm a Phillies fan, of course. And then they said they were going to pay me to stay for the games. And I'm like, what do you want me to do? And they said, we need you to go to New York and get fitted for the costume. All right, we have too much wisdom spilling out to not pause and take inventory of all of these not your average Joe takeaways. For starters, let's just talk about the fact that if you have good energy and you show up and you're willing to just do the work, good things happen. This is the clear-cut example of an eager beaver kid with no experience just throwing himself into anything and everything he can get his hands on. I feel like most of the things that happened in my life were because of that attitude. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know where I would go by doing this thing, but every single step of the way, another door opened. And I guess that's really part of the secret of life, just going forward without being so concerned about the outcomes. It's like you're just happy to be there. Okay, now back to what Dave is saying, because it's really good. And I'm like, what? And I started to, I didn't complain, but I started to question. I said, David, 
just go to New York and get fitted for the costume. Do whatever they tell you. <laughs> I ran to New York and walked into Geppetto's puppet studio. Uh, I, I met this woman, Bonnie Erickson, who was one of Jim Henson's original designers. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I'm not in Hollywood, I'm in Muppetville. This is like, I couldn't believe, uh, I was a big fan of, of slapstick comedy and cartoons and, I, and the Muppets. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm meeting Muppet royalty. And they measured me stem to stern and handed me a drawing and said, this is what, you know, Bill Giles, my boss of the Phillies and Bonnie came up with. And I was on the train riding home going, oh my gosh, I'm going to get paid to be a Muppet. <laughs> I was, I, and, and I hadn't even thought about, well, who was I entertaining? And because I was a Phillies fan and, and I had people, my in, fellow interns were saying, you're nuts you know, they're going to hang you in effigy and set you on fire. And that's when the Phillies win. This is a bad idea. And I just, I wasn't nervous because I was thinking, well, I'm a Phillies fan. I, you know, they, they say famously that the, the, the Phillies fans threw snowballs at, at Santa Claus. And it was at the old Franklin Field. And I was a young kid, uh, about 10 years old, and I saw it. And uh, looking back, I go, you know, Santa Claus didn't have a very good day that day. So so, you know, this is the Phillies, you know, are we, you know, we love our sports. And I, so I have the heartbeat of a Phillies fan. How bad can this be? Um, and, and it wasn't until the costume was delayed and the first day I was going to wear it was actually the first day that it was delivered to Veterans Stadium. And no one had told me, Joe, what to do. So, so you're, you're a, you're an actor, you're a performer, you've done this work, you, you're a, a YouTube with great followers. So you know what this is like to know who you are, right? So suddenly I was going to don this costume and no one had told me what my job was and no one had told me who this thing was other than it was gonna be called The Fanatic. And even that wasn't sure. They said, we may change his name. And I went to my boss and, and Bill Giles saw how frightened I was. And he said, listen, Dave, all I need you to do is have fun. That has to be the core of what you're doing. So I want you to go out and have fun. And uh, if you're not having fun, the fanatic will not, you know, Im you know, embody a personality that's fun or funny. And if he's not funny, it's not going to work. And I'm like, this is great. <laughs> I get to stay for the games. I'm getting paid in my job is to have fun. And I went tearing out of his office. And as God is my witness, Joe, Bill yells at me, G-rated fun, David, G-rated fun. Um, and I went, okay, so I, I understand what my parameters are. And that's all I needed because... I that, that, again, enlightened leadership from my dad, enlightened leadership from Bill, who was actually my boss's boss at the Phillies. And I got to collaborate with him. Every time we did something, he'd call on the phone down in the ground crew area, you know, right where I could get on the field. And he said, hey, next inning, why don't you go try this? And I would go do that. And if it was successful, we kept doing it. If it wasn't, we'd go on to the next thing. And I'm a 21-year-old kid being given this amazing opportunity with no no audition, no trial, no direction other than have fun. And, and my boss, who, you know, for me was a little bit like my dad, like, you know, like a, like a godlike figure was saying, Hey, what do you think? <laughs> what should we do next? And I'm like, I don't know. You tell me you're the boss. He said, no, 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 we're going to, we're going to do this together. And even when I made a mistake, he called me and said, ah, I didn't like that. Here's why you got to understand these things. And Oh my gosh. So my whole time with the Phillies was working with a, a group of enlightened leaders. And I just assumed this is the way it always is until I started working with other companies as still as an employee for the Phillies and realizing, wow, they don't let their character do this or that. 
and and so in deconstructing this one of my one of my first uh, pieces of ad advice for folks who are trying to figure out what you're doing is is obviously do something that you're passionate about try to try to figure out what your the the some skills that you have that you don't value because they come naturally uh, so my mother was also a hero. She she went. She was a hearing woman that went deaf when I was three years old. So I realized all of this work non-verbally came from me trying to get my mother's attention my whole life. I you know I had and she became a certified interpreter for the deaf and worked for the deaf community in Delaware and and she was my hero as well. And she's the whole reason why the fanatic had this amazing personality because the skill set that I didn't value, that I didn't recognize, that I thought oh I'm just lucky. Uh, I don't want anybody else to get in the costume because just anybody could do this. And I'm, I'm, I started to get paid well. And, you know, it was all so we have to discover what we're passionate about. But at the same time, we have to understand what are the skill sets that you're not giving yourself credit for. And that takes a little bit of work and thinking about what were the successes you've had in your life? Why do you think you were successful? And, and, and do that work. What are you passionate about? What are the skill sets that you haven't given yourself credit for that are really going to help you? if you focus on using them you know, surgically and strategically and intentionally. There is so much opportunity in the uncertainty. That's why I've always loved building my own jobs because there's no one way to do it. And Dave mentioned, you know, he was a 21 year old kid with not much direction. And so the only way to go is up, it's trial and error. And you know, I can't ignore the last thing that Dave just said. This is not your average Joe takeaway number two, but also a little bit of homework. A not your average Joe knows that they're constantly in training, even if it's subconsciously. Think about the elements of your life, whether that's based on environment or your family ties or your cultural ties. What are your strengths from that experience and how can you apply it to use it to enhance your current goals and missions? It's, it's crazy that we're living constantly in progress and we probably don't even know it until we take a step back and look backwards and say, shoot, I was getting ready for this my entire life and I had no idea. And that's that all happened without me knowing it. It wasn't until I had these difficult times in my life and I seemed to be overcoming them and I didn't know why and that's what got me to start thinking about why was a mascot so successful that you wouldn't expect why was a Muppet not only became the Phillies mascot but was the city's mascot and unified a city you know connected to people of all different races sex political divides brought them all together because when the fanatic was there you know we were all part of the family and so, so those are those are the things that were happening to me, and that is what turned into the message of powerful fun. We, we don't value fun the way we should in life, and we we put it off as something that is for off time and break time. And and so it, it it's been an amazing journey, and I'm so excited about uh, continuing to do this work, both you know with character branding and 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 sports marketing, but also in preaching this to the world about, hey, look, this is how we make the world a better place. It, it isn't just a mascot. It isn't just what a mascot taught me. It's it's how we can connect emotionally and um, and unify uh, different points of view um, through these through these uh, safe uh, space conversations. And that's what the fun. That's what the power fund's all about. He's ready to give a speech. We're just getting a nice recorded speech of yours, Mr. Dave. Let's go back to the time where you were an intern. What made you stand out? There were other interns. Why did they think that you would be good to be the crazy person running around the field in the green suit? What is that? Because today it's easy for you to say, in hindsight, 
you know, all of these qualities that you've learned and that's what made the fanatic so great. But when you didn't even know that you were going to get this job, what do they see in you that made you be the chosen one for the Muppet costume? Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a fabulous question. And my, it's so funny how my, uh, because people have asked about this story and, and I've told the story so many times at different stages in my life. And as I've grown older and been able to be a little, put a little bit more perspective and thought into it, it's different. In the beginning, I'd say, well, I was low man on the totem pole. Anybody who saw this picture like or design like my fellow interns did who were from South Philly said, you're, you're crazy. You shouldn't do this. You know, you'll be in danger. Um, and my leadership was saying, well, who can we ask? that has no authority that has to say yes. So we're gonna to go to Low Man on the totem pole. We're gonna to go to one of our newer interns because I'd only been there for two summers part-time. Uh, but at the more, and, and, and obviously I'm, I'm still very close with Bill Giles, we talked frequently, and he, he said, oh, well, you were a smart ass. <laughs> I said, wait a minute, I, I was Tubby Raymond's son, friend of, of the Carpenter family owners. I felt like I was nervous to do anything or say anything that would get me in trouble. So in my mind, I wasn't doing anything to be a smart ass. And again, now deconstructing and what does Bill mean by a smart ass? Well, somebody who has a personality, somebody who is, is um, communicating and, and, you know, I, I always communicated, uh, you know, with, with my nonverbal skills because that's how I, because of my mom, I, I did it naturally. So I think that what Bill saw in me was somebody who has a personality. Um, and also at, you know, at the Phillies parties, I was dancing. I was, I loved to dance. Um, you know, I went through the disco era. So what you see in Dancing with the Stars now, that's kind of a regeneration of what it was like in the late 70s and early 80s as we moved from disco to break dancing. You know, dancing, uh, until Dancing with the Stars, dancing had kind of faded out as the thing, right? And I never drank in high school, so... Uh, I would go to the high school dances with my buddies. They'd, they'd be drinking, you know, a couple six packs of beer. They'd come stumbling in the dance. And the girls would come to me and ask me to dance with them because they, they, the other guys might throw up on their shoes. So, so I learned to love dance. And, and, and so that was, you know, part of what I was doing. That was a skill set that I didn't recognize helped me connect. So all of those things, you know, at the, at the parties with the employees and the Phillies, I guess Bill recognized that I, I could communicate. I was dancing, I could move. And, and that's why he selected me because he figured he needed somebody who really didn't know how dangerous this might be. And it is true that a lot of the Phillies promotions were failures, epic failures, but they found those to be almost more successful than the ones that worked well because the fans expected some of these promotions to be goofy, uh, silly uh, types of competitions that they expected some sort of failure. And and I tell people, just Google search Kite Man, and that will answer, you know, how a great idea that because it failed became something they kept trying to repeat and repeat and repeat. Um, and then finally, when Kite Man actually succeeded, the fans booed him because they wanted to see him crash. <laughs> so this was the legacy of the Phillies environment. They were fearless which is another one of the elements is that we have to recognize that fear 
uh, in and of itself can really disrupt your ability to grow. Now, it doesn't mean that you got to go solo rock climbing, um, you know, and and do something that that can be dangerous, can you know potentially take your life. But it just means that fear, in and of itself, you have to recognize that that's something that can destroy your ability to grow and evolve. And and so all of those things were going on when Bill selected me. He said, you know, this guy, this guy will do anything we ask him to do. He's proven it, uh, which again, my dad said to do because it will show your value, showed the value. And then I got the first opportunity and, and then I made the best of it. And I had skill sets that I hadn't valued yet, uh, which were uh, going to, um, you know, be really part of the success of the Fanatic. And I know y'all wrote that one down in your notebook. Fear will disrupt your ability to grow. This isn't rocket science, but it really takes some practice. Even in my own life, I think about the things that I'm kind of nervous about that hold me back, whether that's posting some content that's a little bit risky or fearing that I'll lose everything that I've worked for. And that is just like a limiting belief. I think trial and error, if you're always progressing, if you're always pushing, if you're willing to walk into a room filled with people that you don't know and have confidence in yourself because you got you, that's what it takes. And Dave did this on steroids because he would walk into stadiums filled with people who didn't know who he was, let alone who the fanatic was, because he didn't even know who the fanatic was. And when we come back after the break, we talk about how he created a character, embodied it, and made hundreds and thousands of people fall in love with it. It's like psychology on another level. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is such an interesting life story. I was just watching your interview with Jimmy Kimmel, which wasn't an interview, it was more like a workshop where you were coaching Kimmel on, on what a mascot is and like designing his mascot. And it's really fascinating because on one hand, you're flailing around and you're being super goofy on these fields with hundreds and thousands of people. But on the other side, there's like a method to the madness, which you've become an expert in and have a company designated towards designing people's mascots. So when it comes to alter egos, which is something that you fell into, how would you say having an alter ego helped you learn more about yourself? Because I'm imagining that this is like a lot of self-work you have to do to say, who am I under quotations? And who is this character? And how are we different? How are we similar? How are we friends? Like, what did that look like for you? And how can we all create our own alter egos to to enhance ourselves in performing? 
Oh, I just I just got covered with goosebumps because we're we're actually doing some of that work with with our power of fun training and it's been received in our you know in you know how you you roll some of this out is that you get a group of people together and you test and it's really working well. So there there's two elements to that. Who are you and who are you performing as? So uh, in the case of, of the fanatic, which was my first experience, there was no understanding of who the fanatic was. And, and what's interesting about that, that's the first, that's the second of two very important elements for a successful character brand. Is the organization committed and serious, budget and with all resources to create something that's going to last forever that will rival anything else that you're doing in terms of marketing uh, your, your product? And then second is storytelling. So in order to, before you even see what the character looks like, we're going to create a story. That, that story has to come from the history of the ownership, the history of the company, the, the history of the community that it resides in and is supporting. Um, and then in my case, you know, what motivates me, what excites me, because I, I didn't know who the fanatic was until we recognized this was a gap we needed to fill. Um, and there was some frustration coming from people saying, who are, what are you? And I'd point at the back because the fanatic's name was on the back of the jersey. He said, no, we know you're the fanatic, but what's the fanatic? Are you an anteater? Are you an aardvark? And then I would come back to these debrief meetings and, and I didn't understand why I was frustrated. And I, I needed to know who I was. So I understood who I was. I was a Phillies fan and I thought, that's great because anything that I do from a Phillies fan perspective, I get it. So the output had to be, what was central to me that I knew the, that the audience would relate to. So if I knew nothing about baseball and I knew nothing about the Phillies fans, the Fanatic never would have been as successful because I realized that's what I had to do. Um, the, the, the costume was just a, a wrapping paper. Doesn't matter what it looks like if you do those two things first. There's commitment and you tell an authentic story of you, your fans, your owners, your community, and you pull the elements of that story and you wrap together um, a great story that people can relate to. Drama, intrigue, uh, beneficiaries, saviors, benefactors, um, urban myths and legends all woven in Disney and the Disney movies do this with great intentional ability and great creative energy, and they work hard on the story. Uh, a Pixar and Disney movie is not uh, ready until they've decided that there's authentic pieces of the director and of the writers in inserted into their storytelling. So, so we work harder on storytelling than, than ever. Mind-blowing information. Not your average Joe, takeaway number three, and this one is really one to remember. Master the craft of storytelling. Work on it daily. See how you can sprinkle it into everything you do, whether it's writing an email, having a conversation, or building something like a mascot. Storytelling will change the game and make you memorable because it has the ability to connect on an emotional level. There's a reason why religion and mythology and Disney movies are so popular because they're all based on stories. And it's because the human brain is designed to crave the answers, the mysteries. We want to solve the missing piece. We want to know what happens next. And if you can apply that to everything that you do in your life, storytelling has the power to change everything. And you know I love storytelling, y'all. That's why I journal, that's why I make videos, that's why I make this podcast. It all exercises my muscles of telling better stories. Because I do think this is a muscle. We can always make it better. But you have to start somewhere and that somewhere is now. So in terms of how this can help you in your personal development as a leader, as a person, is we'll go back to what I said early. 
you have to go back to every single success you've had in your life. And this is part of our workshop. So the first question is, so the, the earliest time in your life when something was successful, um, I want you to remember it and figure out why you were good at it. So I'll pick one of mine. Uh, I wanted to be an acolyte in my Methodist church because I thought it looked cool. Got to wear these great robes. You could come out with this in the beginning of the service. You'd come out with a lit candle wick on the end of this. I even forget what it was called, but you would, it had two things, light a candle on one corner. And then on the other corner was a candle snuffer. So in the beginning of the service, I'd go light all the candles. And there was probably two dozen candles on the altar. Then when the service was over and just before the minister would give the benediction, I'd come out and I'd snuff the candles. And when I, I saw it, I wanted to do it. And then when my mom said, Hey, they, you can go do it. I got frightened. And I said, I, I don't want to do it. And my mom said, well, why, why do I, oh, I'm scared. And she said, well, listen, David, if being afraid is the only reason why you're not doing it, that's not a good enough reason. So tell me. I said, well, I have to go light the candles. What if I, what if I knock them over? I'll set the church on fire. <laughs> and, and then, and then I, I, I'm nervous because I got to snuff out all the candles quickly because people are ready to leave, right? So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make a mistake and delay it. And she goes, that's, those are, those are fears that you will not um, realize because they're going to teach you how to do this. So I went and did it and I realized, oh my gosh, I, I enjoy being in front of people. I like, this is a performance for me. And it was my first moment to say, well, you know, may, maybe there's a little bit of performance in you. Maybe, maybe you have a skill to perform under pressure, right? <laughs> so I, I, it was maybe a little delusional, but when I look back and I said, no, that was really important. And then after you start to add up all of those successes, because there were successes for me uh, on the athletic fields um, there. And, and most of the time there was a surprise that I figured out by why was I successful? Who helped me and what did I do? And then these skills, this, th this thread of a continued skill set comes to bear. And then when you're done, you're, when you do all this work, you now have thought of your story in terms of success and how, what you had to help you success, what other people did to help you with that success. And then they're required to create an avatar. If they don't know how to draw, it doesn't matter. It can be a stick figure and put in elements that remind you of those successes. And then you're supposed to get up and tell the group, here's my avatar. And I want to tell you the avatar's story. And so we do a little bit of storytelling through successes. So not a lot of, you know, if you've had struggles in your life that be became part of your success, you can tell that too. There can be drama in this and they tell a very brief story and it, and now what you're supposed to do is recognize this is the, this is the authentic part of you that's revealed skill sets to you that you might not be using. And this is going to allow you to um, overcome challenges. As we know, the last couple of years, we're still going. Um, and also how you can be better in your life and maybe even decide I'm not doing what I should be doing. Um, you know, let me think about other things I can do. Uh, and it doesn't mean quitting your job. It may be, hey, I'm going to get involved in the community and I can put to bear these skill sets that can, you know, help people in my community. So um, I'm, I'm just, you're asking such great questions. I apologize for, for, for taking over uh, the interview, but. No, this is what we're here to do. I'm over here mentally just designing a workshop with you where we help people create their own alter ego characters. What it sounds like is in creating, let's say, alter ego or mascot of your own life, whether you're performing on a field as the fanatic or you're just an average Joe, right? It seems like it gives you the permission to really 
take inventory of all the things that you've done. Think about the small moments that have brought you joy. Think about the challenges. Think about the journey and separate your own fears and insecurities from it. Because I'm just thinking now, like if I were to design a character, I'm separating it from myself, which is powerful because then I can look at the character as a friend, as my hero, as the person I aspire to be, which is just really a mirror of me. But if you create a character with a backstory, it's easier to see. It's, it's, the, it's the only time when speaking in third person does not make you look like an ass. <laughs> You know, uh, and I and I say that with you know because I'm such a fan of Hollywood and and you know all the and end of you know great athletes that you know the, once they start getting into the third person talking you're like mm, I don't know maybe things are going off the rails but in this case it allows you to be free to to exactly what you said to to look at yourself and and I, I'm gonna I don't want to put you on the spot I'm gonna ask you a question um, because you, you're a performer. Um, you know, and you've done some things that you're going to be be judged by your performance. Um, in in, a, in any actor, um, can you tell me what the voice is that's speaking in your ear pretty loudly most of the time? What do you mean? So when I'm acting, when I'm hosting, when when you have doubts about what you're doing and thinking, hey, what I'm doing is not valuable. What? What do we call that voice in our ear? Just like the, there's so many different ways to call it. I, the monkey brain, like the the dummy, the, it's the monkey brain. The monkey brain's a new one. I hadn't heard the monkey brain. So it, this is generational. So your generation may be using up. So it's the imposter syndrome or it's, or negative brain bias, which is actual science. Um, and performers seem to be acute to getting that because they get the feedback of the audience, right? There could be applause or could be a standing ovation, but still you go, yeah, well, it mu must have been the environment. Everybody was happy. That's why they did it instead of giving yourself credit. So what I love about this exercise is it speaks without talking about the imposter syndrome um, or this uh, negative critic that all performers have, but it's universal. Um, our brains are never a, an advocate for our appreciation of what we bring to the table. So this exercise at the end, when you're speaking in somewhat third person about this is this is my avatar that I've created, um, it gives you a chance to look at it and go, yes, I, I did these things. I'm responsible for the success. And here are the people that helped me because you never do it on an island. Um, but the negative critic is always wiping away what we did that should have been valued that for if you are by yourself or you're trying uh, to do a performance or you're just trying to do your work, you have this voice in your head that's wired in our brains that is always telling you that, well, you're not as valuable as, as that. You, you know, you're really not doing that. Somebody else is helping you. Um, and, and that can be devastating over a lifetime if you haven't found out a way to silence that voice or at least to recognize it's there. I told y'all there were going to be gems in this episode. I wasn't lying. How many of us suffer from imposter syndrome? You have to have a lot of self-confidence to not get shaky every now and then. Here's something that I've learned, which is not your average Joe takeaway number four. Whenever I'm pouring my time and energy into something that will actually strengthen my skills, whether that's learning a language or diving into a new skill or going to, you know, a fitness class that's really challenging... 
And then I couple it with what I do for work, like making videos about it or writing articles about it or making podcast episodes about it. I find that my reaction to negative comments or let's say quote unquote failures, like views not being as high as I expected, it's not so much of a failure because I had dedicated my time to something that was going to grow me regardless. So when it comes to imposter syndrome, I think... The trick is, do things that you really want to do. It sounds very basic, but if you're not doing it for the judgment of others and for others' praises, it's not going to matter if somebody likes it or not because you're doing it for you regardless. Of course, we all love praise. Again, we're wired to want praise. As children, we cry for attention. As adults, we cry for attention too silently. Some of us not so silently. But that's my personal hack for imposter syndrome. If you have any hacks, leave them in the Instagram comments. I'm really curious. It's This is such an interesting conversation because I'm over here sitting thinking about my backstory. And so I just want to clear something up. I have horrendous stage fright. It goes way back from a really bad violin recital. I was like eight years old. I had been practicing day after day. And so my sister's a singer. She's an amazing performer. My dad was a musician. So I come from this family where there's a lot of talent. My brother's an artist and he's had art shows where he has to present his art. And I'm sitting there like, where's my talent? What's my talent, mom? And so the beginning stages of my journey alive was just trying to find my talent. And so I relate a lot to what you said, like you don't need to know exactly what you're good at. But in this journey, I started playing music and I loved the violin and this is where the recital kind of exploded in my face. So I get up on stage, I'm eight years old, little chubby Joe, and I literally woke up that morning and painted my nails, picked out my outfit, did my hair, like my entire life and energy was nervousness and trying to make that performance as best as possible. I'm even getting nervous about it now, like it's serious. This was physical too, it wasn't just psychological. I was sweating all day, I was like going to the bathroom, like it was not good. I get up on stage, Dave, do you believe that my hands start sweating so much that I can't even grip the strings of the violin. So I start and it's like, I'm playing Can You Feel the Love Tonight by Elton John on the violin, okay, to an auditorium filled with parents. And I'm like, (laughs) and then I stop and I start having tears well up in my eyes so I can't even read the sheet music. And I'm like, I can't give up, I can't give up. And I'm like, and then I hold the violin in one hand, the bow in the other, and I walk off the stage because I couldn't see anything. This was my introduction to performing, and I never wanted to do it again. I never wanted to do it again. And then fast forward, so that was when I was eight. By the time I was in high school, I was super quiet, very introverted, always in the library reading books or writing. I was studious, but never wanted to show off because I was afraid. You know, I didn't want to raise my hand because I didn't want to read anything that I wrote. And one day there was this club fair and there was this woman who was alone standing with a poster for this club that she was trying to launch in the school. It was a business club, entrepreneurial club. And I stop in, I felt bad for her because she was by herself and all the other tables had like really fun clubs and the the key club and this and that. And I'm like, hey, I'm Jo, Joanna, because at the time I, I hadn't created my persona, which we'll get to that. So I'm, I'm Joanna, I don't really have many Talents, I've never done anything in business, but like, what are you doing? She tells me she's launching this club. She doesn't really have any plans because it's student run. I get to the first meeting and it's only three people. She was only able to recruit three people to go to the first meeting. Mrs. Karen Files, what a good woman. I should reach out to her. And she was like, who wants to do a speech for president? We're gonna be running the presidential elections next session. 
And I look in the room and it's three of us, okay, which would mean I have two people in my audience and I am so nervous. And I'm like, am I really going to do this? Oh my God, I think I'm going to do it. I show up the next week and my strategy was simple. Hold a cookie in my hand and take a bite out of it if I ever get nervous. Because if I eat, it reminds me that I'm human and that everyone in the room, the two other people, they have to eat too. So why am I nervous if we're all humans who just need to eat? So I give this speech and it's like, I'm running for president because I have X, Y, and Z ideas. Super nervous. I get voted in unanimously because no one else did the speech. But it was like one of my greatest triumphs. And once I had the job, I hit the ground running and I started coming up with all these creative ideas. And by the time I graduated a year and a half later, there were 200 members in the club because I started going to the classrooms and giving speeches about all the cool stuff we were doing. We did award-winning blood drives. So all of this to say that it scares me till this day to speak in crowds. But I think once I created this persona of myself, of the entrepreneur, of the businesswoman, I was standing not in front of a crowd as myself, but I was standing in front of a crowd as this alter ego, which was way more courageous than me. And then it created this whole life of performing. And like, I don't consider myself an actress. I've never really wanted to act. But when I think about what I've done, it's been all acting. When I say, hey, I'm Joe Franco and I host the world's most amazing vacation rentals on Netflix, that's acting because there's me and I think this podcast is authentically me, which is why it's been one of my favorite, favorite projects. But for me, having stage fright, I had to create something to stand in front of or like stand behind. I don't know. Like, what's the psychology there? Yeah, I think. Well, so this is so awesome because you're you're doing some of the work that you would do if we if we did the avatar, um, because I, I because naming the avatar uh, that connects to you authentically. So Joanna, I, 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 my sense would be, this has to come to you, but said, well, I, I would call your, your avatar Joanna because it was before you had discovered, you know, the, these skill sets that you had. And, and that's the authentic version of you as Joanna. I'm, I'm assuming that your family, uh, many people in your family call you Joanna because you know, that's authentic to who you are. Not that Joe is not a part of that because it has to be. Um, and you, it's so funny because the, the, both the failure, the, the description of failure and your success are really joined together because your, the failure was your emotions and your lack of um, ability to be confident with how good of a performer you, you had inside of you just overwhelmed your ability to perform a very delicate, work with a delicate instrument. So, so maybe your path was never to be a concert violinist, but that that episode showed you, and then the, the success of getting through the fear was, the fear gets in the way, I gotta work on getting the fear out of the way, and then I, I just need to be true to who I am in terms of my skills. So for me, being a fan of your Netflix series is, I would, um, and, and this, I, I, this is not to, me, to say anything about your, your castmates, you stood out to me from the very first program because I just saw this real authentic quality in you. Now that may be because I just connected to you and as a viewer, right? Um, so you're telling me about you not, you know, having, and I know you've, you've, you know, generated this confidence since then, but I'm looking at you and said it, it I wanted to go cause you were handling the rentals that were a little bit more experiential and lower budget. And, uh, I'm like, 
I'm in. Although I I know the way I travel is that no no I want the sheets and the bed and everything you know all the accoutrements and the places you were showing us made me think I wanted to try that. And then of course I had my wife with me and goes no. Nope. <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> I know it's not it's not luxury all the time. <laughs> right. And I but I connected to that concept that made me in in the scope of that show. I'm like, no, I think I would try that. I, I, I would just want to have, you know, the 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 generation up from that available <laughs> if it didn't work out. But you did that seamlessly and I and I think that's you. I think what I was seeing was was Joanna. Um, and you, but you've just covered in as Joe in your additional work. So um, I love hearing your story because it also further emboldens me that to make us think that we're on the right track with this workshop, because those those um, memories came up from you when, in discussing this. So everybody, um, and and even here's the thing: let's imagine there's somebody that we get to that has not realized any part of the potential they have. And this one workshop allows them to suddenly go and they become a great community leader uh, or a leader of a company or a, a, a great husband uh, or, or um, mother, um, father or mother. I mean, that, that we're, we have a chance to get people to build this confidence to go do, you know, greater things than certainly they expect at times and than anybody else around them would. And, I, and that's what I'm excited I'm because this is where I talk about, I, I used to talk about the power of fun being a really great tool to build sustainable happiness, which it can do that. And that's great. Now I'm looking at it, this, this can make the world a better place. And, and the reason why people don't get to the level that we try to teach them that they can get to is that we undervalue fun. When things get difficult, times get tough. When when you have when you have a boss is saying, you know, uh, to use a, a, an old expression from my era, put your nose to the grindstone. Um, that that doesn't include fun. But what we've proven is that fun probably is one of the most important pillars to be thinking about how you're going to use it when the toughest times come around. Um, and and I and I'll say this last thing that, that led us to this is that during the pandemic, there's been many wonderful discoveries and innovations. It's not to discount, you know, the effect it had on lives or how frightening it could be to go through a pa pandemic like this. But we opted in for physical safety and we completely opted out of emotional and mental safety. And the emotional toll that we're gonna take years later is significantly outweighs the loss of life that we went through. And I say that because these are systemic um, um, diseases that remain and, and really infect all of what we do. So my goal is to get people to understand that there's a tool we're not using uh, because we misunderstand uh, or, or miss, we, I call it the known commodity of fun. That's where it is less valued. And we try to pull people in our training into powerful fun, which is the unknown uh, part of fun. And we're trying to teach people that, that you do that hard work, you're gonna discover something that will help you overcome almost any challenge um, uh, that life has to offer. And if the challenge is a challenge that's gonna take your life, it, it gives you a, a way to be able to, to lead with grace in that, uh, in that struggle. And, you know, I, I've, we've all witnessed that sort of thing in, in our lives. And I just want people to know about how important fun can be to help you over those challenges and then be able to lead 
with grace through the end of your life as well. I love that you've created a whole movement called the power of fun. This is such an underrated concept and I think that's also helped me a lot in my journey. So in the beginning stages when I was just stepping into this performer role, the thing that I loved about being on camera was that it gave me this permission to have fun. I was goofy, right? I'm like the goofy best friend and I, that's my favorite version of myself. And so that's something that I was able to do anytime there was a camera in front of me. So cultivating that, it was like, like I get to bring joy to other people, but in turn, I'm bringing joy to myself. Because when you're making a YouTube video, the whole point nine times out of 10 is for entertaining people. And then after, you know, months and years of doing this, I realized that it was such a big pillar in my life to be able to have a good time to be goofy and silly. Because yes, I'm serious. I'm like nerdy. I geek out about things. But it's like lighten up, right? Like let's not take ourselves so seriously. I love a good humor, a good laughter. Recently I was listening to a podcast that was saying scientifically it's proven that laughter heals you and that leaders, CEOs of companies, they receive higher ratings when they're funny, when they embrace humor, when they put humor in their presentations when they make things, you know, more relatable. So how do you tell someone, take X, Y, and Z steps to start having more fun in your day-to-day -day life? Like, how do you coach people to loosen up and have more fun? Well, we, we've got, there are three lessons that we, that we teach. And what I go over in my, uh, my keynote is it, the, the acronym of FUN. Um, there are three very important, these are the foundational lessons. This is, this is, um, this is the, the start of you understanding the difference between the fun that you know and powerful fun. So F stands for a force that fun is. And I'm only asking my audiences and we're teaching our students that you have to value fun as a vitally important uh, tool in your life. Sometimes I describe it as just imagine that it was oxygen and that you, you can't survive without it. So we, we don't value fun in general because we think of it as being, you know, silly and goofy, right? And and you just described how valuable it is in your life and in your performance and how it affects other people. So we just want you to value it. And I, I'm a I'm a Star Wars nerd. I you know I'm I'm a bad movie geek. So um, I use a lot of references. So um, it's as if you're listening to Obi Wan Kenobi in the Star Wars, and it says use the Force. The Jedi's were the only ones who could tap into a force that was available to anybody. And they had to work really hard to learn how to tap into that force. So that's the way fun is. We, we, it's all around us. It's everywhere we go. We appreciate it, but then we don't value it. So I asked, F stands for the force that fun is. Uh, U is the universal quality of fun that we say, if you can tap into the power of fun, it will help you cross all borders, barriers, and circumstances. Now think about the borders and barriers that we've seen recently pop up. Whether it's Me Too, Black Lives Matter, or social uh, justice, or in, in many cases, social injustice, um, diversity, inclusion, all these things. The simple answer for virtually all of that, because I believe in simple solutions to very complex problems, is to eliminate leadership and I'm talking about political leadership in terms of being our guiding light and just meet people where they are and get to know them. And then it has to be in a safe space. So what I discovered with the fanatic was the fanatic working at a funeral proved to me that if it works at a funeral, where else will it not work? And, and the answer is there's nowhere as long as you invest in the creative time. And that brings in N. N stands for no. 
which sounds counterintuitive to this discussion of including fun, no just tells us that this is a serious effort. That if we're going to get leadership involved, we can't just say, hey, we're going to put on a clown nose and run through this uh, a, a bull in a china shop and slap It'd really be great. Well, leadership's going to go, whoa, 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 we just had a bad first quarter. You know, we're in the middle of COVID. What do you mean? I, I don't get it. So we need to understand people are going to be frightened. There's going to be fear and they're going to say no. So all we have to show them is, wait a minute, this is a serious effort. And then here's the ROI. If we do this work, this serious hard work to discover how fun will fit here during a difficult time, then we've got leaderships in because they see what the ROI is and then they become an advocate an evangelist for fun, and then we're good. We're golden when leadership sees, look, this is hard work and here's a process we're following. And then the fourth lesson is kind of the output for difficult times. That what we have to understand, I'm, I'm, I'm just writing a new book and I'm having trouble with the word distracting right now, but, I'm, but we call it the distracting fun as the fourth and most powerful lesson. It's what helped me get through the death of my mother to brain cancer, the dissolution of my marriage just three weeks after my mom's funeral. And it was the worst time in my life. And then I realized that me getting in and inhabiting the personality of the fanatic saved my life because it gave me these little tiny doses of, of a break, right? Uh, and when I was in the fanatic costume, I was in a true flow state, you know, forget about myself. I, I'm completely somebody else. So there was no Dave Raymond. I would go floating away like an out-of-body experience. The fanatic would be in charge. And I was ready to quit because I went, how can I, my mother has died at the age of 59. My, my wife and my young son have left and said, you know, this marriage is over. And I'm like, how, I can't do this work. And I was ready to quit until as I was doing a few of appearances that I had to do before the Phillies were going to lighten up my schedule um, because they were happy to help me. But then I realized, no, 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 I, I have to do this more because with each appearance, there was a brief respite. And so that's why I that's why we call it distracting fun. But we're in change mode because I don't want distracting fun to suggest it's not valuable. Like, you know, don't look at the man behind the curtain, you know, because we're going to distract you right now. Um, there is great value in using that during difficult times. So now we have the title Distracting Fun, but we're always in change mode. And in writing this new book, which the title, the, the, the uh, heading for the book right now is Brilliant Stupidity, because it's, it's our job to explain to the most ardent dis distractors of this concept. And we need to show them the science and we need to show them the ROI. And when we do that, then you recognize I can use this anywhere. And frankly, when things get really hard on me, the first thing I'm looking for is something that is going to, you know, change my focus just for a couple of minutes. Because when you do that and then you get back to the challenge, it just never feels as bad as your brain has been wired to make you think it's going to be. How many of us make it worse in our heads than it actually is? I cripple myself with my own anxieties about the work that I need to do when in reality, me doing the work is enjoyable. But it's almost like this huge weight of the before. Like, oh man, I have to do this. Oh man, I'm nervous for that speech that I'm gonna give in a month. I think it's really important that we understand 
our own brains. This is me. This is my experience getting to know my own mind. And what I've learned from observing my own habits and my brain's natural negative bias, it's that it's never as bad as my brain makes it seem. And that's why it's really important to do exactly what Dave is talking about. Remember the power of fun. Like this man leads workshops about embracing fun. Now your average Joe, takeaway number five. Anytime that I'm stressed out or anxious, I remember to zoom out. The first thing I do is zoom out. Do things for others. So be of service because then it's not so deep. It's not about me. It's about how I can serve others. And then like having a good time. We're 10 days into the 21 day language challenge right now. And that's the perfect example because when it first started, I have to admit, I was like, oh man, I now have to spend an hour minimum studying Greek. Like, oof, I have so much on my list. This is going to be tough. Right now, day 10, all I do throughout the day is look forward to studying my Greek. And it's because I started making it fun. I found podcasts. I found music. I've even learned how to rap in Greek. Day four of the language challenge. <laughs> it's my funnest one yet. The challenge is to find a song and learn some lyrics. Yeah, I'm proud of that. But the point is here that whatever you're struggling with, if you sprinkle in a little bit of fun, not only will you have a better time doing it, but it'll curb some of that anxiety and imposter syndrome. And that energy is contagious. And uh, so th those are the four lessons. It's consistent. So, you know, my keynote in the keynote business, they say, hey, can you come and uh, give a keynote about increasing productivity and, 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 and in, enlighten our sales group and help our marketing people? Yes. What's it called? It's called the Power Fund. Can you help um, some of our young people really, uh, there, there's this idea that we are, um, because of, uh, you know, the, the stress of the pandemic, you know, suicide rates are going up. Can you can come and talk to our students and our student athletes about, you know, how they can avoid that as a decision? Um, yes, I do. What's it called? It's called the power fund. And so there's always that central piece, but all of my audiences that has a customization to not only using their language, and, and, and using their culture to help drive the way I'm presenting it, but how they can specifically customize it to fit that particular challenge, which is exactly what the Power Fund process is about. We're gonna take you from the known commodity of fun, and we're gonna, with some hard work and development, we're gonna bridge this doing gap that we call it, and we're gonna move you into Powerful Fun. Powerful Fun is where we make uh, our families better and better connected. Our families make better businesses. The better businesses make the community better. Better communities build a better world. And and that's where this work lies. It, and, and then what's funny, Joe, is that it's like a cycle. When you do the hard work, you may recognize that the output needs to be silly. So we're creating the greatest surprise ever for Joe and Joanna. And so the first thing we have to do is we, we're going to go tell Bob Bob's an idiot. He's always going to tell Joe about the surprise party by accident. So we're not telling Bob. That's So you're doing this work and the output's going to be silly and fun and celebration. But we worked really hard to make sure that you are going to be surprised. And we're going to include all the elements that are going to make you not only surprised, but happy and a memorable moment that you'll always remember for the rest of your life. That's important, right? But the output isn't going to be the same type of output that we're dealing with somebody who is struggling with loss or struggling with the concern about suicide as an option. It's completely different over there, but it's still the same process that we follow. There's so much power in what you're saying. It's like 
just thinking about how powerful it would be for anyone, whether they're performers or not, anybody can do this work and create their own personal fun mascot or alter ego and look at that alter ego or mascot as the person or as the thing. It could be anything. It could be an ice cream cone, whatever it is that makes them happy. And in those tough times, just put that costume on, whatever that looks like. For you, it was a physical costume and you literally ran around in the field in the physical costume. But I think about how many times I was going through things and I had to film for either the Netflix show or a YouTube video. And I remember thinking before, before I had to get on, on camera, I was like, shit, I'm in a really bad mood. I'm in a really dark place. Like, oh my God, like the fact that I have to pretend to be happy. But the weirdest thing would happen. I would physically need to, to be there and it would boost my mood tenfold it's exactly what you're saying so there is that little bit of hesitation but because we've been put in positions where we had to it was either that or quit we see the benefit of just throwing yourself out there with that character it's almost like a life vest to save yourself like you have to create your character that's gonna have a little life vest for you even though this is all coming from you so it's like it's it's so fascinating I was on a call today with somebody and he said something I loved it's like he's in a healing stage where he's the patient and the surgeon and he's observing himself and I'm like like the patient and the surgeon is brilliant. We have all the tools that we need. We have all the ingredients that we need, but but we need the tools. And the tools could be like your workshop, which I, I want to sign up for because I could always have more tools in my toolkit. Well, you know, I and, I, and, and I'll include a, a friend of yours who you appreciate, Nat Measley. He's been my, he's been the guy that shut off my negative critic more than anybody else in my life. He's the one that when people are interested in my keynote, that he packages it customizes it and develops it for the client and they appreciate it. And he is the one who has created the training. So he's he's heard me speak more than anybody on the planet and he still says he enjoys it. So I don't know whether that's just to, you know, soothe my negative critic. But he, you know, that's he has been the one. He's an adjunct professor at the University of Delaware uh, teaching um, entrepreneurial studies. His students love him. His, his classes always get the highest rating. He's part of the Horn program at Delaware, which is a very uh, well-respected nationally uh, in terms of a, a business uh, school. And um, so he is the genius behind how we train. So he get, he got it, he understood it, and he's, and he's the one that's developed the training. So when you take the workshop, we'll both be there, but he's the brilliant mind behind it. You know what's so crazy? And I love how life works because nothing is an accident. So I was on the Netflix show and that was a whole journey in itself. It was a journey of me kind of shedding my skin from being a little baby on YouTube with a crappy little camera running around the world. I shed that, I left that in the past and I started hosting with a huge crew. And a lot of the, the beginning months of that shoot were very difficult for me. Like there were moments I was in a hotel room in Japan crying, sobbing my eyes out. Cause I'm like, am I showing up authentically? I don't feel like it's me yet because I had to fit in with two cool co-hosts, two new people that I had just kind of met. And I'm like, I don't feel like my true goodness is there. Like where's Joanna? There's Joe, but Joe is a host. I really need to sprinkle in some of of the Joanna and maybe two weeks after that I kept thinking about it I was intentional about it and one day we sh we showed up to shoot and I looked at Megan and Louise my co-host and I was like enough 
Today, I'm gonna be as me as I can possibly be. And we did these things called the drive-tos, which is when you have to introduce your property. And you have to know facts, but you have to spit it all out in one take. And it has to be good, right? It has to be flowing, there has to be chemistry, no one can cut you off, it's a really big skill. And all of our drive-tos were pretty clunky up until this point, especially mine, like, I just felt like a robot. I'm like, we're going to a two bed, two bath, it's 500 square foot, like, I hated it. And I'm like, this is not me. So that morning when I'm like, enough, today's the day, it's gonna be me. I get into a Tesla. I was driving a Tesla. It's the episode four, season one, the food episode. And I'm driving, which is another thing you have to focus on. But I do this intro and it happened on the first take. And I'm feeling like more myself than I've ever been. And they both look at me after we cut and they're like, damn, girl, you weren't playing. Like, you really are yourself. Like, we didn't even realize. And when you're shooting, you have tons of cameras. You have a walkie talkie in the car, you know, like yeah. two GoPros rigged up. There's a car in front of you with a camera hanging out of the back. It's not a normal organic moment where you feel like yourself, but it was in that moment where I'm like, this is me now. And from that point on, I was myself. The seasons end, the show gets launched, and then I get an email from Nat Measley, a person who I had never heard from before in my entire life. And he messages me, emails me, first he messages me on LinkedIn, and he's like, Hey Joe, I was wondering if you've done any speeches. I would love to work on building your speaking products. And I'm like, if he knew about that violin recital, I think he'd reconsider. <laughs> but since then, Nat has been in my inbox just saying, Joe, I really liked your authentic energy. And I'm like, it's crazy because it's like I had, these are things I had to work on. Like these are, you know, it's like you really have to put a lot of effort into your authenticity, as ironic as that seems when you're in a performance stage. And since then, he's been in my corner and I'm always amazed when he emails me. I'm like, what does this guy see in me? And he introduced us and another speaker that I had, Palva. And I'm like, how amazing is it that if you're being authentic, you attract good people with, with good support? Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Great sharing. And it just it just validates what we all go through. The, the, difficult, the difficulty is, I think the gap is, you know, and what I discussed in Bridging the Doing Gap, we, we don't do the work a lot of the times. And, you know, when someone's struggling emotionally and they go to a therapist, it's a lot of hard work. Uh, but the output and the ROI is amazing, right? It's life saving. Uh, so in, but in every human's uh, experience on this earth, if they put in some work about discovering, you know, where they were, what they learned, what are their skill sets, and just did that um, that revisiting uh, of our lives and giving ourselves credit, it makes a world of difference in how you, because you had just determined, and you knew, it was like me, I didn't know who I was, so we had to create a backstory for the fanatic, which is really cute and funny and makes everybody laugh, but it's, but it meant a lot to me. You were doing the same thing. I'm not, I'm, I'm Joe, I'm Joe, but really Joanna is really who I, and he didn't feel right. And then finally you made it, and that's, that's the work you were doing. You were, something's off, right? And you tried a couple of things and then boom, it hit. You got your, you got the crew and you've got your co-hosts that are going, whoa, where's that been? Right? And said, well, I was, I was, I wasn't doing it the way I felt it needed to be done. And that, that's such a huge transformation that you made that can really be a great story in, your, in the keynote that you're developing is that how you transferred from being off to being on. And, and from a performance standpoint, it is, it's part of your ne ne negative critic that's going on too, but it's also, the voice was, it's not authentic. Um, and, and just to, for, the, for the people who are listening, the fanatics had no story. And when, when I 
came in at one of those meetings after just a few weeks of the character being introduced and said, we got to figure out who it is. Somebody in the room, I, I said out of frustration, it's like a Darwin experiment gone bad. And another intern said, that's it. You're from the Galapagos Islands. <laughs> and from that came a story that said the fanatic was created inauthentically in this wild and wonderful place that, that accepted all kinds of crazy looking uh, species, but because the fanatics, th their clan was not um, not real, he wasn't, and his clan was not accepted, even in the wonderful wild place that the Galapagos is. So he was one of the strongest, so they sent him on uh, a, a trek to find acceptance, and he, you know, he went went from, you know, the ocean came into North America, weaved up the Delaware River, and found the city of brotherly love. Amazing. See, but it's like, this is the power of storytelling as well for you, the performer, for the audience to connect to it. And I just want to stress that you don't need to be a mascot for a famous sports team to have the same power in your life. Like from this conversation alone, I think homework is already assigned. Like we all need to create these alter ego mascots who we can look to to save us when we need a little saving and to just like lighten up a heavy situation. Yeah, it's so, it's so important. And you said it so well in that, you know, and I, I say the same thing to my audiences, when I get done telling the story about how the fanatic saved me and, and the highlighting the power of distracting fun, I go, now look, I had this personality, I get it. You're all thinking, well, well, well I don't have a costume. And I said, well, you actually do. You do have a costume and you do have a superpower. You know, your costume, it's, it's you and the clothes you wear every day. Uh, and your superpower is to understand that, that you have the ability to develop and shape uh, the personality that you need to be that's authentic um, and that you can live every day. And then once you have confidence in doing that, you you can overcome your, your fear and overcoming fear allows you to grow greater. And then when challenges are difficult, you recognize that part of your ability that you've learned now is to, when things are tough, it's you have to get away from it for five minutes, 10 minutes. It could be meditation, it could be a walk. You know, those are the intentional activities that you decide for yourself. And, and you said that right. You don't, you know, you don't need a costume because you're already living, in some cases, you're living in an authentic world anyway. You're not being who you are. So discover your skill sets, your, your pride, your, your, um, you know, your belief in yourself, believe bigger, all these things we've heard before. You know, this links all together to how you can engage it to help you become who you're supposed to be and to, and to help you because, you know, you're going to get thrown challenges and this is not the last pandemic we're going to have. It's not not the last time that our world is going to be upset, and and we gotta we gotta be ready to do it again. And this is exactly why I love to journal because you get to write down your process, so it's easier for you to zoom out, take inventory, assess yourself, and then see a through line. Not only do you see the past, but you get to look forward. Like, what do I want to be writing in two months' time? What story do I want my day to day to contribute to? When you have that, you can pinpoint the minute you're not being authentic, the minute you're not being real with yourself, because no one's really going to catch it unless you catch it first. Maybe your real friends will catch it, but it has to come from you. There were so many not your average Joe takeaways in this lesson, in this episode, in this chat. I hope that there's a part two, but I always like to finish the you know conversation with your not your average Joe takeaway. What advice would you give other than everything you already said that would make an average Joe a little less average? 
Well, it's well, first of all, I, I and I love Average Joe because I, you know, I th that's kind of like, you know, I grew up in a little small town, Newark, Delaware, and and uh, even though I was blessed in my life and never really had much of a care, I, I and again, I'll age myself. I, I let a leave it to beaver life. Um, what everybody can do, which each individual that's listening can do, is just to take stock in the things that they've done that are valuable and the accomplishments they've made. It doesn't have to be huge. They can be small wins. And that's all I, we go right back to the very beginning of this conversation. Just look back in your life and think about the successes that you had and discover what did you do to help create that success? And then who helped you to also do that? And it, and it, it the, just doing that little bit of 30 minutes, close your eyes if you want to, jot the notes down, and then work on what were the skill sets that you have, that you had then, and that you've even sharpened today that you can use to continue to move forward. So, uh, you know, give yourself credit. That would be the simplest way. Just give yourself credit, turn off the negative critic and say, I did that. That was me. You know, and, and I, I think that, especially in the world today, that really helps. You're so good, Dave. How can we follow your workshops? How can you be our mentor? Like, give us the information. Where can we find you? Well, the, the easiest thing to do is go to DaveRaymondSpeaks.com. And that, that will certainly be the um, an overture for, for keynote speaking. But it talks about our workshops, talks how we can virtually produce uh, keynotes. We, we obviously are, are live as well at times. People, we're going to get back to that eventually. And there's also a link on that website to uh, RaymondDG.com, which is all of our our character branding work. You're so great, Dave. Thank you so much. I am so excited to keep discussing all of these things with you. I need help on my keynote. I'm in. You will be really amazing um, because of your ability already, and uh, that's what our you know our our speaker world needs more fabulous women speakers. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so you're perfectly set up for great success and, and I, I can't wait to see it happen. I just have to get over my, uh, eight year old recital nightmare. <laughs> Wish me luck. That's going to be, your, that's, look, that's going to be your open. You're going to come on stage with a violin and you're going to recreate that in the first minute and every, and you're going to look like you're crying and walk off the stage and, but it goes, Oh my gosh, what happened? And then you're going to spin around and say, I just want to tell you, that's why I probably that's why I don't think I should be here. There you go. There's <laughs> oh your. God. This is why you connect so, right away. I have my violin in my closet. I'm I'm giving a, a speech in a month, and I'm like literally already anxious. But you just helped me work out the intro. You're in because because then the audience is going to be right along with you, and you because the the most important part from a from crafting the work is to you got to immediately engage people within the first thirty seconds. You got to connect with them some way. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you could just recreate that look because you're, you know, you've got the, maybe you could even have a few tears and then put your head down and take two steps up and they go, oh my gosh, what happened? <laughs> and then you turn and go, that was me, you know, back when I was, and you tell the story and say my, what my whole goal is to, is to have you all not, you know, inhibit what you can become. I'm, I'm in. You're Oh my God, let me stop this recording. You know it's good when you hit record so, again. Um, this is the last thought. You, you, had, you had asked about, um, you know, how, how great this was. And I said, well, I've had, you know, I, Malcolm Gladwell's outlier says, you know, 10,000 hours of practice. And then there's access and good fortune. And that's how the Fanatic was created. That's how I got involved. But in terms of, of being in an interview situation, I've, I've, been, I've done so many interviews that I feel very comfortable. But 
here's the big separator, the big difference maker. If someone tells a story uh, in the New York Times magazine that I got blessed to be written about my work, the, the writer was incredibly talented telling the story. So I've been in a lot of newspapers, but I never got the response, but that's because he told the great story. In podcasts, which are interviews, if the interviewer doesn't have this ability to bring out the best in their guest, it, it stops, it's dead, it's never good. And you're, you were amazing. You, and, and then you make it easy. And this is what I knew as soon as I started listening to your podcast. I said, oh my gosh, we're, we're, we're gonna have a great time because she's just so natural and so relaxed. Um, you, you don't feel like you have an agenda. You're just talking. Um, and it's it's wonderful. So that's what you do. I can die a happy woman. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Dave, for being a sparkling ray of sunshine in my day. And to all of our listeners, obviously, like, wow, so many gems. It's crazy that you start with a conversation about a mascot for a baseball team, two things that I feel really disconnected to. And then somehow I feel like this is something everyone needs to hear at whatever stage in their life they're in. That's the power of good conversation. If you gain some insights, some gems of wisdom, don't forget to rate us five stars wherever you listen to your podcast. On Spotify, you can rate it or on Apple Podcasts, you can even leave a review, which I actually read. So leave me something nice please. For bonus clips and just all-around motivation, follow the Not Your Average Joe podcast Instagram, Not Your Average Joe pod. And if you want more of me, follow me on Instagram as well, at Joe underscore Franco, where I'm currently spamming everyone with my Greek progress because we're 10 days deep into the 21-day language challenge. It's been a triumphant 10 days and we're halfway there if you've missed this round you can join me on social media with my daily prompts i'm posting them but you can also join the wait list that i'll link in the show notes below i'm not sure what this 21 day language challenge will turn into but i know i need to create something for my multilingual beautiful people of the world and big news because you guys have heard of my creative block from posting on youtube but this week i finally started posting so i'm trying to get in a schedule monday's youtube videos on joe franco Wednesdays, Not Your Average Joe podcast episodes, and then every other day of the week, it'll be some social media content, releasing my newsletter towards the end of the week. It's a lot, but I feel like I'm finally getting into a rhythm. I'm also linking to Dave's information in the show notes. He's a really smart guy. Google his speeches, YouTube him. He's he's a special person with a lot of interesting things to say that you can apply to your life no matter what. Tune in next Wednesday. We'll be back with another guest with more Not Your Average Joe takeaways. This podcast episode was edited by Jeff Morrow and myself and produced by moi. The song was made and performed by my really talented sister, Fernanda Franco. My mom and dad were doing something right. I don't know what they did, but brother's an artist, sister's a singer. I do a bunch of random stuff. All my Night Your Average Joes out there, have a brilliant week. Don't forget to take some time. Take inventory of your wins. You've done a lot and you'll continue to do a lot more. But when you really notice your strengths, that's when you become a superhero. It's been a long journey and it will continue to be one, but I'm happy we have our little not your average Joe family. Cheers to you and I'll see you soon. Hey yo, come listen to my girl, man. What you doing? Shit. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.